On today's show, we have Paul Frembo, the co-founder of Morpho Labs. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, team, and possible future token, along with any plans on the roadmap. Morpho Labs aims to become an improved, more efficient lending, borrowing platform in the DeFi ecosystem. Paul, let's start with some background about yourself, please. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the invite. So uh, I'm French, as you, you might have noticed. So I came into blockchain through the cryptography and distributed computing uh, area at first in 2016. And from there, I started like going up the stack and finally going to smart contracts and, and then DeFi. Morpho, I would say that the idea came up like one year ago when I was having a, a course at the university in Polytechnique in France. And I had one uh, math researchers with which I was, well, I was discussing potential smart contract improvements. And we came up with two different ideas. And the first one was named Mangrove. And the second one was named Morpho. And Mangrove is sort of what we call reactive liquidity decks and is improving decentralized exchange. So I'm not going to talk about it, but that's an amazing project that's going to be out soon as well. And Morpho is a bit similar, but to the liquidity protocols realm. So the goal is to improve the capital efficiency of Compound and Ave, and I think we'll have the chance to discuss it later. But yeah, and uh, nine months later, here we are. So we raised our first round and we're building the product. It should be out soon, but again, uh, I think we will have the time to discuss it. Can you kind of give us some insights into what type of capital you guys raised in that round and who were some of the top investors? Yeah, definitely. Basically, we wanted to have this run as much spread as possible in the sense that we really wanted to have many, many investors in it and many business angels as well and funds. The round is rather small in the sense that even though the market conditions are super hot, we really wanted to keep this uh, grinding attitude. So we're all very young in the team, but really want to hustle the thing. So we came out with a 1.3 million round led by uh, Semantic Ventures and Nation Capital. With them, we have many uh, funds, so among them Cherry Ventures, Adka Capital, State Capital, Faculty, AngelDAO, and others, and business angels as well. I know there's a lot of investors in the marketplace right now, and it's very competitive. So how did you choose the, <laughs> these investors for your round? Yeah. And what kind of had them stand out? I think the main point here is not about fundraising. It's about hiring advisors in some way. <laughs> because, okay, we have a large team. I think we've got some pretty smart guys out here. So we did not really want you know, this cash to hire people. Well, we have the people to, to do the, the protocol, and we have the protocol. It was more about legal stuff and audit stuff, the two things that do cost a lot in this space. And so the idea was really to not raise money, but hire advisors. When you say you're raising money in this space, you get a lot of messages, and then you just have to, to get the course and understand who's going to help you out. You can see it qu quite easily, actually. It's not so hard to understand who's going to be here for the long game and uh, to help you uh, bootstrap the project. So um, I think it was... Rather easy and very happy with the investors we have in. They're really helpful and super committed to the project. Do you think process in which you picked your investors is the right way for any new projects that are also starting out to do the same thing? Or do you have any advice there? I'd say we did it in a pretty special way. I mean, in terms of sizing first, because people used to do like seed runs based off of 2 million, 3 million, 5 million sometimes, and even more. I think it was... a. Uh, kind of extraordinary small in the space. When we raised it, everybody was saying, okay, you shouldn't want to raise more. This is quite small. And this is due to the team 
and the, the state of the product. So I would not probably advise it in terms of sizing for any project. I think it's very specific to our project. Now, in terms of choosing investors, I think money is really not an issue in the space. The issue is finding people able to help you bootstrap the protocol and, and the project if it's not a protocol. So definitely look for advisors. This is, in short, what you need to do to raise funds. What is the size of the team currently? And are you guys distributed across the globe? Yes. So basically, we are four in the core team. We were all devs from the space. And then uh, we were very close to sort of a research team that the research team that designed as well, Mangrove, the project Mangrove DAO. So we had those four uh, researchers that are working very closely with uh, Morpho and our advisors and contributors on our end. And then since we raised some capital, we were able to to recruit four, four different profiles in either development or, or community and, uh, and business development. And of the other guys on the team, is there any, I guess, from an experience standpoint, what's their sort of the brief background? We all came out, uh, out of school very recently. So we are, most of us are tech people that did the internships in, uh, in Solidity Dev companies, such as uh, or projects in, in the DeFi space as well. So we are all like, good at developing and math. We have two guys that uh, went for HEC as well, which is the best uh, commercial school in France, basically. It's a business school. Yeah, so I think we, we do have a, a good mix in the core team, definitely. And the protocol in itself, and we'll have to, the chance to talk about it, is quite complex. I think it's one of the most complex protocols in the space. The team is just quite a great fit for, for the project in itself. So who do you see, I guess, you know, as we roll in, I guess into the project, let's dive into that a little bit more. And then after that, we could kind of go into some of the competitors, but kind of maybe break down in the simplest form what you guys are trying to achieve for the users. Yes, definitely. So the problem we're tackling is that basically, if you go to a lending protocol right now or an interest rate protocol or whatever, like AVE, Compound, et cetera, you'll see that there's a great difference between the, the supply APY and the borrow APY. And looking at this spread, which is, Quite impressive sometimes, right? If you go to a compound today, I think it was like 0.1% to lend if, and uh, it was like 3% to borrow. And you may wonder like, where the hell does this spread come from, right? This is not like supposed to be, because if I lend you $10 for a year and you give me back, like, let's say $1, I'm paying one and you, you receive one, right? There's no need for a spread between the two. When you think about it, the reason why there is a, such a spread between the two is because of the pool structure of an Avon compound, right? So the scenario is the following. So you have a great pool with all the liquidity and there are many, many suppliers lending some liquidity on it. And you have very few borrowers that are going to pay the interest. And the interests are going to be split among all the lenders. And this is the reason why you have this uh, great spread between the lending APY and the borrowing APY. And the goal of MOFO was basically how, how can we get to this zero spread rate? And the answer is simple, actually. The answer is just peer-to-peer, -peer, right? You don't use pool. But peer-to-peer -peer is super complex to do because to have a protocol that is working with peer-to-peer, -peer, you need to have this sort of critical mass, right? Peer-to-peer -peer protocols were used in the very beginning of the early days of DeFi. And they did not work. And the reason why, and one of the reasons why they did not work is because you didn't have this critical mass where you had many users that you can match anybody at any time. And... To be accurate, this is what Mofo solves. And it solves it 
in a way that you could not have solved it two years ago because it uses Avon compound itself, right? And Avon compound did not exist in the way they exist now today. So here is the trick. We're going to do some peer-to-peer, -peer, but we have this problem of waiting. When you do some peer-to-peer, -peer, you have to wait for a match. And if you're waiting, then you go to the pool. So you have this sort of hybrid mechanism that the user does not see at all. You just go to Morpho the same way you could go to Aave or Compound. You get the same user experience. You borrow and supply cryptocurrencies. The only difference is that in the backends, you're either going to be matched in peer-to-peer, -peer, if the protocol can match you in peer-to-peer, -peer, or you're going to be in the pool. This way, you get at least the APY of the underlying pool. But sometimes, you're going to get the peer-to-peer -peer APY, which is a better APY, which is an improvement on the APY. And you do this at no additional market risk, right? You don't take any liquid, uh, additional liquidation risk or whatever. This is pure optimization, right? There's no reason why you would not do it considering the market risk, right? This is not like the 200% uh, APY that you could get, but that is rather risky for different reasons. This is pure optimization. So we keep the same guarantees of the underlying platform. We just improve the APYs. So if an investor first enters and they're in a pool, right? How does that then get matched to another peer down the road and kind of what does that process look like? And does it have to be the same amount or can it be a partial to two peers? The way it works is basically Morpho acts as a proxy. So you're going to supply ETH to Morpho and Morpho is going to put it to compound. You're not going to get your C tokens back or your A tokens back. And Morpho is going to stack those uh, C tokens in, or A tokens. And then a borrower comes to Morpho and he says, okay, I want to borrow whatever amount of ETH, right? It's going to trigger the, the borrow button and Morpho is going to use those, those A or C tokens, right? And it's going to pull out some liquidity out of the pool and match the user. And whatever the amount is, this is done in the back end, right? You just match the volume, whatever. You don't need to have the exact same volume because people are not matched. Volumes are matched in some way. So it could be $10, it could be $1. And we match you in peer-to-peer -peer this way and you get accrued interest rates. And if the credit line breaks because uh, one of the two uh, persons decide to leave, then we reconnect you to the pool again. So you can leave and enter the market at any time. So essentially you can be starting out there could be a, a greater spread, but over time, the spread can come down and your cost can come down. The borrowing cost up front can be greater. And then over time, it gets reduced matching. Oh, okay. You mean greater, but never greater than what compound is or what A is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. To that regard, yes. So yeah, you got the lending APY of compound, the borrowing APY of compound, and then you get the Morpho APY, which is basically in between the two and which is an improvement for both sides of the market, right? So if you're matched in peer-to-peer, -peer, then you're matched at this mid-rate. If we take back our example of ETH with 0.1% to lend and 3% to borrow, on Morpho, it would be 1.5% for both sides of the market when you're matched in peer-to-peer. -peer. When you're not matched in peer-to-peer, -peer, then you fall back to the pool and get the rate of the pool. So in the worst case scenario, you're at the rate of the pool. Got it. And so I guess what comes to mind is why doesn't Ave or Compound integrate this same solution and kind of how will that protect you moving forward that they don't just kind of copy what you're doing? I mean, copying is not a bad thing to our point of view, right? In the DeFi space in general, I think copying is, uh, to me, a great feature of the open source and DeFi space in general. We'll just put it as modeling 
off of the, some of the best different things and putting it together, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think this is two different products in some way. And uh, Ave is really working in, and Compound is really working on having this base layer, right? And to some extent, you could imagine that this is not the sort of work to build products on top of Ave and Compound, but Morphe is kind of an original product because it's really sticking to it, right, to some extent. And I had the chance to, to talk to Jordan from Ave at ECC, and we briefly mentioned Morpho, and he was saying that they kind of thought about it at some point, but they decided that it was not worth investigating it So uh, at the time. But I think that we've came up with some solutions that are theoretically very interesting and that enables Morpho to be very performance and efficient in the way we do the matching and uh, in the way we, we fall back to the pool. Because there are some scenarios that are not so obvious to, to work on. So uh, if I give you a quick example so that you can... Uh, feel the complexity is that, for example, you're matched in peer-to-peer and you, you borrow the fund of someone in peer-to-peer and then you run away with the money and decide not to pay back. And the lender wants to exit his money. How does he do it? Because he's in peer-to-peer and the money is gone. And those sort of scenarios are not so easy to handle, right? So we've been working on it and we've been accumulating knowledge on this thread last year. And uh, I think that today we are the best to, to do what we do. If in the future, another protocol decides to sort of copy and do the same thing, I mean, fine. Like you could argue that some very famous liquidity protocols are doing it with each other, but they, they find different design solutions. And I think for now we, we are sort of uh, in advance, but I'm, I'm hoping people would like it till the point that people start forking it. And that would be great in the end <laughs> for the end user, right? Because he would get better rates. And this is what I love about open source, but anyway. Have you guys received any like uh, grants or anything from these other protocols that you guys are going to integrate with? No, no, no. We decided uh, not to uh, to go for grants with those protocols. I mean, we could in the future. We did not take the time to do it uh, for now, but it could be an option. What do you see as the benefit for like uh, of or uh, you know Compound to kind of utilize you guys with their platform? Is there partnerships for you guys out there with these other protocols? I think what's cool about permissionless innovation is that we don't have to sign a partnership to be partners with Ave and Compound. Right? This is what I love again, is that, okay, we, we look the deeply into that code because everything's open source. I mean, we could talk to them and uh, we're open to discussion. We, we just did not uh, uh, have the time to, and there are some very busy guys as well. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, in the future, be really happy to, to start discussions with them when they, they realize that Morpho is uh, quite interesting and uh, <laughs> there'd be a lot of things that they, we could do together be, would be with great pleasure. The more complexity that can be involved that could open up to more smart contract risk, correct? From a user investor standpoint, what are some of the risks that they need to be aware of and how do you guys protect that? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I said that Morpho is improving the rates of compound without any additional market risks. But people need to be aware that we are introducing more lines of codes. And if we introduce more lines of codes, potentially this is a vector attack for, that is additional to what you already have in uh, AVE and Compound. And people need to be aware about this. And of course, like any project, we, we do have a very strict process in the way we go for security. And we, we're going for many audits and uh, we're already free plans and two that were done. And, um, and yeah, but... Actually, the vector attacks are quite different in Morpho than in other protocols because Morpho itself does not have any TVL, right? Morpho has zero TVL and it will 
always ever have zero TVL in the way the protocol is designed. And the reason for this is that because we truly think that TVL is a bad metric, at least not the most relevant metric for lending protocols. Because when you're a lending protocol, what you want is you want your liquidity to be borrowed, right? Because if it's borrowed, then your protocol is efficient. And TVL is basically the liquidity that is not borrowed. And to some extent, it sort of highlights how much liquidity is locked in the protocol and how much it is inefficient to some extent. So I agree that for some kind of protocols, it could be interesting to measure TVL, like for, for DEXs, for example. But I think it should not be a metric that we, I think that the time has come for, because of composability and you have all those uh, values that is sort of splitted over all the contracts that are composing on top of each other. I think that TVL is becoming less and less interesting or relevant. However, we were working on uh, introducing a new metric, which is total value unlocked, which is basically how much a protocol is able to unlock value, right? How much is he able to generate yields? How much is he able to unlock stock capital that is not working? This is not zero for more. This is quite high, uh, a quite high metric. So uh, yeah, if you think of the smart contract risks of Morpho, to some extent, you can't frog pool Morpho <laughs> because there's no pool and there's no TVL. Okay, this does not mean that the, the, the code is riskless, of course, but this is the considerations are different to some extent. So how is the protocol sustainable and what part of the transaction fees go back? Okay, the so protocol, the way we designed it, is not supporting any protocol fee at all. But it could be easy for a governance if the protocol becomes upgradable to add one. And the way the fee would be set, a natural way the governance could choose it is basically to take a fee on what is the extra yields that are generated on top of AVE and compound, right? which is supernatural because you come to Morpho because you want to have better yields than AVE and you get those better yields. But on top of that, the fee that is taken is only taken from the extra, right? So you don't lose uh, any money, right? But again, we haven't too much thought about protocol fees because uh, the protocol fee does not go in our pocket. <laughs> so it's about to be the governance to choose uh, what they want uh, in the, the treasury and how it should go to the treasury as well. Now, is there any, I guess, should people still be doing the same transaction and looking at taking out insurance? I mean, they could, but any product nowadays, which is a DeFi endpoint that is providing interesting yields, et cetera, is built on top of AVE or on top of Compound or Curve or whatever. There are lines of code on top of that, and there is a smart contract risk about it. But I think the due diligence is uh, always uh, super important about the protocol. So uh, I welcome people to, to look at our white paper, which is available in our website. Feel free to, to just leave feedback and, and comments on this. And uh, we're working on the yellow paper to formally prove everything that we claim in the white paper. The white paper is not technical at all, but we have a super big yellow paper coming out <laughs> in the coming months with all the technical details, but also the the proof that what we, we claim is actually uh, done in a sort of neat way. To me, this is also about uh, reducing the risk. So we have a team of uh, technical people and theoretical people for some of them. And uh, to us, it really is a way to bring trust to the protocol and uh, have people understand that it's not about claiming we have better APYs and having people take huge risks and having the user take huge risks. So we prove what we do. I mean, do you see any existing protocols that are closest competitor at the moment? No. Actually, I think that what we do is quite innovative. So 
I haven't seen any projects that did similar things. The project which is the closest to some extent, uh, the two projects that are the closest, but are yet completely different, is you could people often compare us to CowSwap because CowSwap is about doing peer-to-peer on top of uh, those uh, DEX pools, right? So people say, okay, you're similar to CowSwap, but that's completely different because they do a DEXs and we do uh, liquidity protocols. And another protocol that is quite similar to some extent is the Mangrove DAO. I encourage the, uh, the viewer to actually go look at Mangrove as well, because what they do is basically the same thing. They have a very little TVL. And what they want is have this sort of DEX where you don't have the money stuck in a pool. The money is fetched somewhere else in the DeFi space. And this is about unlocking value, unlocking capital. And I think we definitely, enter, people often talk about DeFi 2.0, right? I think it's, okay, to some extent, uh, it's maybe exaggerated, but to some other, it definitely is a time where you kind of have all those protocols building on top of each other and increasing the efficiency of the, the capital. And I think that Mangrove and Morpho are doing it quite in a nice and neat way. I think to some extent, it's kind of the, future next generation of DeFi that could be considered in such protocols. And yes, so that's why I encourage people to go and have a look at it. Now, outside of Compound Nave, are you guys expanding to any other protocols? And why did you choose them? Obviously, because they're super famous and trust to some extent. So yes, Compound and Ev have proven that they're sort of sustainable to some extent. So okay, it's only been two years, right? But still. They have super in, uh, good documentation as well for us to integrate them. And for now, we're kind of being uh, conservative on the uh, protocols we integrate because, okay, composability is great, but it co- also composes the smart contract race as we, we discussed it earlier. So this is why you can't choose any protocol and connect to it. And I think that uh, Avon Compound are uh, trustful and uh, we're starting with them and so famous. So if you tell someone, okay, you're using Ave, then you could use more for Ave and it basically is the same thing, but with better APYs. It's, you know, in terms of product market fits, it's kind of more interesting to have this sort of position when people can identify what they have, right? So they're already using something. So they already have, there is an existing product market fit. And what we say is that basically we have a Pareto improvement of this. So you get the same thing, but in better. And um, in terms of user base, it's more interesting for us to, to go for those too risky to go for others that have a smaller user base to some extent. I mean, there's a lot of conversation going on, especially here in the US around regulation and DeFi and, you know, what needs to be reported, what doesn't. And as we kind of work through all this, how do you guys plan on what to implement yourselves or what not to? Yes. So I think this subject is super, super important to some extent, because uh, on our end, all the founders and advisors, et cetera, we are not like uh, anonymous. I was a student like uh, a few months ago and some advisors were my professors at university. So people are aware of who we are and what we do and we don't want to be hiding it at all. And the way we want to work it is uh, what we basically do is math and software development and improving protocols for the end user to get a better rates for the end user to have a more profitable finance and more fair finance. And I think... The way DeFi should be structuring, and that's a deep thought that we have, is that a protocol in itself should be decentralized and definitely should truly be decentralized. And the protocol itself 
should be decentralized in, and open source in such a way that it should not be going for profits. Okay, a protocol can't go for profits because if a protocol in itself goes for profits, then someone is just going to copy and paste your code and then is going to take out the fee that is exaggerated because you're being a full profit. So the protocol itself should be some sort of non-profit finance thing. But where the full profit thing is, is about research and development, right? So Morpho Labs, which is working for Morpho Protocol, we should be paid by the protocol if the community thinks that our work is valuable and we should be paid for the software development and the math we do and not for something else. We're not operating as financial service. And to that extent, I think regulators will understand, I hope they will understand that you can't blame a software development company for operating a financial service when the only thing it does is basically math, right? This is the way we uh, sort of uh, tackle the problem, which is really a deep problem for founders because nobody wants to go to the prison or whatever, right? I think that there's definitely this uh, convergence point between the two words, which is DeFi and regulators, that in the end, what we want is the benefits of the end user, right? We, we want to provide better APIs, right? We want to provide better services, whatever, whatever protocol you're. And I'm kind of enthusiastic compared to uh, all the other funders that maybe uh, I'm not so enthusiastic. I'm kind of enthusiastic because I think that at some point they will understand that this is uh, for the good of the end user. We have been actually uh, working, I would not say very close, but we've been in discussion with some uh, French ministers and uh, they are aware of our problematics. I would not say we're working close with them, but they are aware of our problematics and, uh, and they're keen to be uh, looking at DeFi in general and they're aware that there are some social benefits to it and they don't want to kill it. I, I'm really sure that at least in France, I don't know if it's the case in the US or in, in any, other, any other countries, but they're keen on uh, working with us, uh, definitely, rather than against us. Well, like the US has a conversation about transactions over $10,000 right now. Like, is that something that's even easily implementable to the extent of KYC in these type of DeFi protocols with who you're doing loans with? In terms of UX and in terms of implementation, clearly DeFi is not ready at all for this kind of uh, KYC stuff. I think uh, for many different reasons that I want to elaborate, this is not something that is uh, desirable in the first place for Ethereum. However, fraud is not something that does not exist. It exists, right? To some extent, KYC is not all bad, right? Maybe it, it could avoid some fraud to some extent, right? But then what is a fraud and who decides who, who should be, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And this is too much of a debate, a global debate for a state or for a state to decide to, to put it on Ethereum. Uh, so I think that maybe DeFi is going to come to it, but I'm not keen on it at all. I think there's other ways maybe uh, regulators could uh, work this out. Maybe like using KYC at the entry points of crypto, if they prefer, at any entry point of crypto, rather than what's going uh, inside the crypto world, right? Because if you have to go for KYC, every time you use the, the crypto mechanics of DeFi, this is going to be terrible and I would say infeasible, right? And even not desirable. But if they uh, at some point force us to go for KYC, I think the best way would be to securely do all the entry points, right? Because then everything is on chain. so you can go back to the KYC uh, or where the money comes from. Yeah, yeah. well, I was just curious, you know, as uh, I actually was just reading this morning that the U.S. is trying to pass, you know, certain transactions over $10,000 to 
starting in 2023 and trying to understand is that are we really able to accomplish what they're even trying to do you know yes and technically it's super complex <laughs> yeah it doesn't seem like it's going to happen by then is what i'm trying to say so but let's move on to the last section that's kind of the roadmap right can you kind of lay out what you guys are working on today what 2022 looks like and then maybe some thoughts about what things may look like in three to five years cool so we, we started working on it in December 2020. Basically, it was like five months of Blackboard research, right? You had this chalk and the Blackboard and you were thinking about it and, and making the design choices. And we started implementing the first version of the protocol, I think it was June, and uh, came up with a proof of concept that enabled us to raise funds. And finally, we, we went for an audit, a first audit, like it was three weeks ago of the first version that passed well. And now we're working on uh, optimizations of uh, our matching engine. So we have different options, but we really want to find out what is the best design choice for our users. We've come up with uh, three different, and we were thinking of the three, and we will need to make a choice. And maybe testnet will be a, a great way to have us uh, make our choice. So, um, so we'll uh, probably go for, uh, for testnet in, in this month, so during uh, November. And then uh, you could expect... So, we're not keen on the approach where you get one big release, right? That you do after uh, one year or two years of development. We really want to go for this sort of lean approach. Then we go for maybe one or two or three testnet releases. We already did one private testnet release in September for the community. We had amazing feedback from them and then iterated on this. And then we're going for a second testnet launch. And maybe we'll go for a soft launch, right? On some layer two or whatever with a capped amount that you can put on the protocol, for example. Nothing of this is, is decided yet or announced, but you could expect that around January, even maybe before our protocol is usable on blockchains that are not uh, test blockchains. And then going for the uh, long roadmap. So if you look at the section four of the white paper, you have this sort of three stages evolution of Morpho. And Morpho is basically a blue butterfly. And this is the name of a blue butterfly. And the goal for Morpho is basically first being sort of caterpillar, right? That lives inside of an apple, uh, which is basically a compound or, or ave. And we, thanks to the uh, composability in DeFi, we take advantage of the, the liquidity and uh, to build our protocol. And that's super great. And we have those peer-to-peer -peer credit lines that are super liquid because whenever they break, we fall back to the pool. Now, one thing that we have thanks to peer-to-peer -peer that was never sort of done before in the Ethereum space is that you get competition on the rates. The next step for us is most likely to go for competition in rates, okay? Because when you look at compounds, they're not competing at all, the lenders. You could imagine the second version of the Morpho, which is not Caterpillar, but Chrysalis, which is more this sort of Uniswap V3 of lending that you can't really do with pools, but that you can do with peer-to-peer. -peer. You could do it with pools, it's rather complex. And with peer-to-peer, -peer, it's much easier to do. And then we hope that at some point, blockchain will be efficient enough and adoption will be here and uh, the uh, mass adoption will be here so that we don't need to rely on Compound and Aave to ensure the, the full liquidity of our credit lines and positions. And a great way uh, to do this would be basically to have uh, professional market makers, but to do this, you, you need adoption and you need uh, efficient blockchain, right? Because 
for obvious reason you can do it uh, on the Ethereum mainnet uh, layer one uh, right now. And this is why we have this fallback trick. But uh, you could slowly evolve from this caterpillar to this butterfly, which is sort of super optimized lending protocols. And yeah, so that's where we are and what we aim at, basically. And how do you see like maybe some of the discussion around over-collateralized loans to under-collateralized morphing in the future? Okay, so I find this subject passionating, definitely, because to me, every loan is collateralized, even in real life, right? When you go for a loan, you don't get free money, right? They're going to look at your profile and to look at uh, what school you made, etc. And I think that the subject is not about under-collateralizing. It's about collateralizing differently. Because when you go to a bank and you, you, you call for a loan, you're proposing value in some way. And this value, you could potentially tokenize it, right? So I just came out of school and maybe I would have loved that my school created this non-transferable NFT and they gave it to me. And then this NFT is sort of valued in the market because, okay, my school is performing well in the rankings or is not performing well. So I have this sort of value associated. To and then I come to the DeFi uh, 5.0 uh, <laughs> platform and I, I present my NFT. And then uh, maybe I would get better rates because of this. Or maybe I present my house, which is also the uh, NFT. And I put it into the protocol and people don't have to trust me, right? Because they see the token and the token itself is reliable and valued. So this is where it's rather complex because you have to value the thing anyway. And I think that the whole topic of under-collateralized stuff is about putting more value to blockchain, right? It's about tokenizing more sort of different kinds of value. We see it with uh, carbon credits, but it could be diplomas, it could be physical goods. Even though you face different challenges, like how do you liquidate someone <laughs> or how do you... But you know, maybe you have to think differently about those problems. But yeah, so currently I think the topic is a bit too early. I'd say the um, adoption of blockchain for broader assets that are not just money, but other kind of value is needed to go for the super efficient and the collateralized notes. But you have some projects that are working on it. I think in France, we have uh, Jellyfy and they're super good at what they do. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to see what they're going to bring to the, to the table. But I think it's really not in the scope of, uh, of Morpho. And I hope for someone else to do this open source protocol so that we can plug it to Morpho and it's going to work perfectly fine. And, uh, and we won't have to do anything because everything is open source. Now with uh, Morpho, can everyone participate on any of the existing blockchains in which Aave or Compound are already on? Yes. So there's no limit. So the way Morpho was designed is theoretically, right? So we, we did not uh, program it. We did math first. And math is blockchain agnostic. So that's cool. <laughs> and then you can implement. So you have the, uh, the protocol in theory, and then you can implement different versions on the different interfaces and the different blockchains. So it's super uh, agnostic. For example, AVE is uh, available in diff many different uh, layer two. We could easily uh, just deploy in any of those uh, layers. All right, cool. Let's uh, leave off with the last question here. I mean, as a uh, co-founder, do you have any advice for any of our listeners who are also looking to, you know, start <laughs> and build their own company here in the space? Yes. So, okay, two points. I think one for the blockchain space, and then one for the DeFi space. I think for the blockchain space in general, it's super important to understand what blockchain brings to the table in terms of value, right? 
what is it in your service that you condo with the centralized infrastructure? And what is it that the blockchain brings to your service? What is the added value that it brings? And thinking like this will sort of uh, help you like erasing bad ideas and, and just picking the best and understanding what blockchain brings is super important because it's really not obvious in the beginning. Now for the DeFi space, this is a personal preference. I encourage people to work more on their, their protocol rather than on how they're going to, to communicate, etc. Because I think that I really love the, the crypto Twitter, etc. But uh, I think that some projects do lack a little bit of added value sometimes. It really depends on what you want to do. There's so many, many innovations, that, uh, so many improvements that you can do. There's not a single project that is perfect. So maybe try to fork one and try to, to optimize it or to, to compose on something uh, exist, that is existing and, and try to optimize it in this way rather than uh, forking it. Or maybe imagine new services in the DeFi space. You have uh, innovative services such as a Paladin uh, that provides uh, liquid governance that is super interesting to me. AP1, that they, they tokenize future yields. So many things to do, but really look for added value rather than just trading your token, right? And uh, try to pump it in some way. I think it's super important to find value first and then you, you'll have your token and everything will be fine, right? But yeah, this is my point of view, but I mean, people could disagree on that, definitely. No, that was good. And did you, did you guys have any plans in the future for a token? Yes, so we do. So we have a, a small section on it on the white paper on the, what uh, the token could do. There are many things, actually, the Morpho token could be useful in the protocol and in the, the very core protocol of Morpho. So we haven't any plans on uh, when it will be launched on everything. I'd, I, would be, uh, I would be saying quite soon. But, uh, but yeah, a token is important for governance, even though we're finding more and more different, uh, new different solutions for coin vote, uh, rather than coin voting. I encourage people to go for the white paper and see the, all the different usage that you can have in the Morpho protocol with the Morpho token. And there are plenty of them. All right. And so if people want to read that white paper, where should they go? And is there any way to get a hold of you or learn more? Yes. So the website is uh, morpho.best. So M-O-R-P-H-O dot B-E-S-T. There you'll find everything, the link to our Discord channel, our Telegram channel, and the white paper, obviously. And soon, hopefully, the yellow paper and the documentation and, and the test it. I appreciate sharing that with us today, Paul. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. 